This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Would you, um, would you open your Bibles to the book of uh, Mark chapter 15, verse 1. I, I don't have it uh, broadcast for you today, so if you have a Bible or a little magic uh, device where the Bible magically comes to you on your phone or whatever, I would encourage you to follow along with, with this. This is Mark 15 and verse 1. Uh, very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. And so they bound Jesus, they led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Well, you have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. And so Pilate again asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of? But Jesus made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had come uh, committed murder in the uprising. And by the way, I think the Matthew version says that Barabbas was a famous guy. Like they, they were, this was like their yearly thing and they, they, this is the one they wanted out. Like this wasn't just some random schmuck. Like this was the guy they wanted back. And so the crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Now keeping in mind, they have no idea that Jesus is there. What these last few verses are, it just happened in the last 24 hours. They're just coming to get their regular guy out every year. And meanwhile, here's Jesus who has been held in Caiaphas's house and now in front of Pilate. So, do you want me, uh, verse 9, to release to you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate, knowing that it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one that you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, I believe the John version says that they, he surrendered Jesus to the will of the crowd. Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. That's God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, it's my prayer today that your word would be real and alive and meaningful to us. Like this, this isn't just some myth. This happened. And we had a great opportunity to see it and to experience it. And we pray today that you would be uh, in that with us and your word to be alive with us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Last week, David Schindel did a masterful job of covering Mark chapter 14, the last part of chapter 14. Jesus was in front of uh, the religious leaders at Caiaphas' house in Jerusalem. 
Um, as Jason said, there are some places in Israel that we're like, eh, maybe this is where he was. Uh, there's, there's a cave, so maybe that's where Lazarus was. We'll build a mosque and we'll call it Lazarus's tomb. We don't know. But then there are some places where they're like, this one is probably it. In Caiaphas's house, the preponderance of evidence continues to show is probably where this is where Caiaphas's house was. Out of curiosity, anyone in this room, have you been to that in, in Jerusalem? A few of us. Okay. Inside of Caiaphas's house, that first century home, they would have had the basement, the ground level, was where livestock would have been kept. That sounds pretty disgusting, right, to put your goats and chickens, but that's not what it was. It was like a two-car garage. That's where you put the goats and the donkeys for your, for your work, and they lived above it. And so in Caiaphas' house, in the basement area, right, the first floor of the two-car garage, uh, first of all, the idea that when we talked about that when uh, Peter denied Jesus while warming his hands by the fire, he was within hearing distance. Jesus heard it. It wasn't like he's out in the yard somewhere. Like in a, He would have heard it. But the second thing in there that you see is that in this basement on these uh, stone beams are little cutouts of where stuff is, uh, where goats and stuff are, would be tied to, about this level where livestock, but there are these two holes in one beam at the top that you see right there. That is at the top beam of the ceiling, two holes right close together. That is not what you would tie a goat to. It's sure not what you would tie a donkey to. It seems that the only purpose for something like that would be to restrain somebody that you were holding uh, as they said, we, they bound Jesus up and took him to Caiaphas' house. So we had a pretty interesting and holy moment there. And Luke, we didn't do this first service, but I would ask, could you play, uh, before you hit play, Psalm 88, if you want to open your Bibles to this, I just want to give you a moment, then maybe it is, hopefully it's as potent as it was for us. We wandered into this basement uh, it was weird because nobody, Phyllis, nobody was behind us. If you've been there before, you know that there are like groups, like Asians and Europeans and Africans. And so you have to get in and get right back out because it's just very busy. You got to get in, you got to get out, you get in, get out. But for whatever reason, we went in there and nobody was behind us. And so we wandered into this basement and I uh, asked Mike Coop, our brother from Place of Hope, would you read Psalm 88 for us? in this, and so would you play that for us? My God, by day I cry out, at night I clamor in your presence, let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my call for help, for my soul is suffered with troubles, my life draws near to the netherworld, I'm numbered with those who go down into the pit. I'm a man without strength. My couch is among the dead. Like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no longer, and who are cut off from your care. You have plunged me into the bottom of the pit, into the dark abyss. Upon me, your wrath lies heavy, and with all your billows you overwhelm me. You've taken my friends away from me. You've made me an abomination to them. 
I'm imprisoned and I can't escape. My eyes have grown dim through affliction. Daily I call upon you, O Lord. To you I stretch out my hands. Will you work wonders for the dead? Will the shades arise to give you thanks? Do they declare your kindness in the grave? Your faithfulness among those who have perished? Are your wonders made known in the darkness or your justice in the land of oblivion? <laughs> but I, O oh Lord, cry out to you. With my morning prayer, I wait upon you. Why, O oh Lord, do you reject me? Why hide from me your face? I am afflicted and in agony from my youth. I'm dazed with the burden of your dread. Your furies have swept over me. Your terrors have cut me off. They encompass me like water all the day. On all sides they close in upon me. Companion and neighbor you had taken from me. My only friend is darkness. In the words of the Lord. Yeah. actually ended up having several more moments sang another song nobody was coming it was like just felt holy but I was struck by that because Jesus would go from that basement taken in front of so these are religious leaders and now he's going to be taken in Mark 15 in front of the political leaders this is Jesus's first appearance in front of Herod in front of Pilate Herod was excited because he thought he could get Jesus maybe to do some parlor tricks. Pull a rabbit out of the hat, get the blind guy thing, like do the magic. Herod was such a mystic. Pilate, on the other hand, was just interested in trying to figure out if this guy is a threat to me. And this is going to be a roughly analogous, uh, so forgive it if it's, it's, it's not a good analogy, but it would be like the equivalent of like the governor of Tennessee and the governor of Alabama, okay? Two adjoining states that each had power in their areas. And so that's why when he was originally brought to uh, Pilate, Pilate figures out, oh, he's from Alabama. We got to go to Al the Alabama guy. They just all happened to be in Jerusalem at that time. So they sent Jesus to Herod and Herod mocks him, throws a purple robe on him, and throws him back over to Pilate. And so in Mark 15, that's what we have, is this experience with Jesus in front of political power, not religious power. 
And of all the lessons that we can take from this, I think that watching Jesus interact with uh, supreme power, political government power is for us instructive on maybe how we, at a time like I can't remember, when political power seems to be out of control, when it seems to be confusing, and I don't know what to do about it, how do I react, my guy wins, my girl didn't, I don't know. So what I want to do is I actually just want to read the three questions that Pilate asks and the interactions that Jesus and the crowd has with Pilate to see how that matters for us in our modern context. What can I learn? What can you learn from how Jesus responds? What can we learn from how the crowd responds? What is our priority? What's the first question? First question is... Uh, are, you, are you the king of the Jews? Like, he, he gets, Pilate's got Jesus in front of him. He is being told that this is the king of the Jews. And he asks Jesus the obvious question, are you king of the Jews? It's important to know that for Pilate, that is not a theological question. That is a political question. It is the equivalent of saying, are you in like this this people that we rule over, are you their king? Because if you are, that's a problem. Are you the king of the Jews? It's a question that the disciples really struggled with as well. The road to Emmaus after his resurrection. What is it that they say? They ask him, he comes alongside and he, they don't recognize him at first. Have you ever wondered, by the way, how it was that nobody recognized Jesus immediately after his resurrection? Have you ever thought about that? I'm going to give you a thus saith the Darren. I, I don't know, but this is what it sure feels like to me. Have you ever ran into somebody that you went to elementary school with? Right? And some of you that are older, you're like, you don't know them at first. But then they start talking and they're like, oh, I know exactly who you are because their body changed, because their body became what it was meant to be, what it's growing into. So imagine our fallen nature, our Genesis 3 world. What would our glorified body look like? I don't know. But it seems like it looks just different enough that if I talk to you, oh yeah, I totally know you. But you need to talk a little bit because it's, it's the, I think it's the perfected body that we were meant to have to begin with. That's just a, a bonus for free. I'm not going to charge you any extra for that. I just think it is fascinating. But on that road, he asked the question of what's wrong? Why are you sad? And what did the disciples say? He said, ah, we thought that he had come to redeem Israel. That's what we thought he was here. And they're not, again, it's not a theological statement for them. This is a political statement. We thought he was going to come and redeem, set us free from Rome with a sword. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says something fascinating to him. He says, it is as you say it is. Isn't that a weird thing to say? It is as you say it is. Just a few verses earlier in chapter 14, are you Messiah? That's what the religious leaders, are you Messiah? Are you the son of the Holy One? What does he say? Absolutely, I am he. Are you king of the Jews? He seems to get kind of squishy on it on first read, but I don't think he's being squishy at all. I think he's saying to Pilate, 
you have the power to make me the king. It is as you say I am. If you say I'm the king of the Jews, I'm the king of the Jews. You have the power to make that happen. Because in the John version of it, he actually says to Pilate, I actually am a whole other kingdom. Are you the king of the Jews? And he says, no, the purpose I'm here is to testify to the truth, and my kingdom is another kingdom. To which Pilate says, oh, so you are a king. And then what does he do? They throw a crown of thorns on him and they throw a purple robe on him and they begin to mock him. Almost as if what Pilate is saying is I'll make you the king of the Jews and now I'm going to make you an example of what is going to happen to anybody else who decides they're the king of the Jews. I appreciate um, the sympathetic uh, ideas about Pilate. Ah, he's an innocent man. He's a, you know, they, they usually play it sympathetically, whether it's in Jesus Christ Superstar or whatever book you got. Uh, this was not a sympathetic guy. This was a ruthless Roman dictator. Okay? These guys, his concern about whether Jesus was innocent was of zero concern. In fact, I, as best I can tell, the only concern he had was his wife had a dream that this man was innocent, and if you kill him, it's going to screw up your whole life. It was not about Jesus, it was about Pilate. If I do this and Pilate loses his, I lose my power. This was not about that. And my point in even bringing all of that out is the difference between Jesus's power and Pilate's power. When I put my hope in political power, political power is what? It's coercion. It's force. You don't think so? Don't pay your taxes. Right? Get on 840 and just blow on over to uh, Murfreesboro at about a buck 20. They can force you to do things, right? That's, that's how political power works. I'm going to force you. And literally right now, every political candidate, whether you're feeling the burn, right? Whether you want to make America great again, it's all the same story, which is I have to take credit. Have you ever heard a president stand up and not take credit for literally everything that's happened this year? Right? The air quality is better. It's, and they all do it. It's because that's, that's political power. I have to take credit. I can't admit mistakes because my power is about me being right and me staying in power so that then I can force and coerce what my agenda is on all of, of you guys. That's political power. Jesus had that power, by the way. He has that power right now to force and coerce you and I to do whatever the world he wants us to. But that is not power. I mean, that is not love. That is power. The supreme ethic of the universe is love. And what Jesus in his power is going to do is going to say, I'm going to give you the choice of whether you want to receive me. I'm going to give you the choice of whether you want to love me. Because otherwise, it's a dictatorship, and that is not what he came to set up. My kingdom is not of this world. And so when Jesus, who literally could have sneezed and knocked the whole room down, chooses not to. The most powerful man in that room, okay, is using his power, laying his power down so that he could forgive them while they were taking their power up so they could harm him. And the question for us in our modern context right now, with our political stuff going on, like where do we fall in all of that? I would suggest, first of all, that if Jesus 
if God thought we needed a politician to save us, he'd have sent a politician. It was interesting hearing in uh, Jerusalem right now, the Jewish community, a certain sect of the Jewish community, they are preparing. In fact, they think that what's going on in their election process, this is happening in op-ed pieces, is that, that this election is going to fall apart because, they, because what they believe is that Messiah okay, is coming to, to rule, that, they won't, that Netanyahu can't win because Messiah is going to come and, and rule from there. They're waiting for a politician. But a politician can make your life easier or not easier right? A politician can raise your taxes or lower your taxes. A politician can complicate or less complicate your life. But what a politician cannot do is save your soul. And that's what Jesus was here to do. And the only way he was going to save their soul and our soul was not by picking up a sword and cutting off the head of Pilate, but by lowering his hands and submitting to what God needed him to do. The second question. First question, are you the king of the Jews? Look, you say I am. You have the power to do that here, but let me tell you where my power comes from has nothing to do with your power. The second question, he says, are you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of. What are they accusing him of, by the way? If you, I think it's in the Luke version. They're accusing him, number one, he's telling him not to pay taxes unto Caesar. Okay? Categorically, is that true or false? Right? It's like right in there. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Categorically a false accusation. And then the next statement is, he says that he is Messiah, comma, a king. Now there, Messiah is a theological term. King, political term. They added king, because if you go to Mark 14, the questioning they had, they ask him, are you Messiah, the son of the Holy One? He says, I am. But that doesn't matter to Pilate. That doesn't threaten him. What threatens him is if this guy thinks he's a king. So they go in, and what are they doing? They're spinning it. They're taking the right information and the wrong implication, and that is the biblical definition of a false witness. So what did Jesus do there? Are you going to answer them? He didn't say a word. There's so much wisdom in that. I might blow your minds here, but I'm going to say something that might blow your minds. I don't know. You don't have to respond to everything on Facebook. You can keep scrolling. It's the weirdest thing. There were points in my life, this is a true story, I actually used to think uh, that uh, when someone gets mad or they didn't like me, I thought, well, I'll just, I need to talk to them because they didn't hear me right. If they heard what I had to say, then, then, then they would actually, you know, they'd get it and they'd like me. And I learned most of the time, no, they actually heard me right the first time. They just don't like me. <laughs> Which, you know, my mom would be like, how can you not like him? He's like the nicest kid. But, you know, turns out the best way to answer the talk of foolish men, and I use that word very biblically, is not with a well-crafted argument. It's not that we can't engage in a conversation. Jesus didn't answer him with his mouth. He answered him with his life by laying down 
his life. Peter, who would have been standing near there somewhere, you know, fire, whatever. Peter in the garden took his sword out. He's going to open up a can of whoop God and take care of business. That Peter, later in life, would write in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, that the best way to silence the talk of foolish men is with your good works. To do good, to be Jesus to those around you. What's happening in Nashville right now? I've been down there. Many of you have been down there. Churches everywhere. Jesus people everywhere. Work crews who have come here to make money are turning around and going back because the volunteers are doing it all. We are silencing the talk of foolish men. It's churches doing that. In Haiti... um, there's a guy named Over Nelson who was a voodoo priest. Uh, Over had a, a, a the classic little voodoo temple, super spooky and 100 percent, you know, subject to the power of the Holy Spirit. Right, no fear. But Over, over the years, watched us by us meeting our church take care of his children. Over had you know a few children, a few different women, didn't take care of any of them. But our church fed them, our church loved them, our church educated them, our church clothed them. And over the years, Over finally had to come to the conclusion that you guys are taking better care of my kids than I am. Why would you do that? Why indeed? Because we learned it from Jesus. Because we learned one of the supreme ethics of Jesus is love. For those of you that are rejecting you know, Jesus or wondering about Jesus, do you know that's part of what you're rejecting is to love your neighbor as yourself? Do you know part of what you're rejecting right, is to look upon someone in need and to love them and to take care of them? It, uh, there's a great book by a guy named Rodney Stark, and if you're a, a history junkie like I am, I recommend it highly to read it. The Rise of Christianity. And in, in a brief summary, he goes back. He's a, a historical sociologist, I didn't even know that was a job, but it's a job. And he has studied the early church, and his question that he was trying to figure out was how did the early church, how did these little band of Jesus people change the entire culture of the Greco-Roman world? And he several different things. One of them that he brings up is that in those days that women uh, to men ratio is 140 men to every 100 women. And it was because of that, because of infanticide, female infanticide, because a girl was not as valuable as a man. And so we would kill the babies uh, if they were female because they were, that was just a normal thing for them. It was totally legal, but not in the Christian ethic. No, the Christians said, no, 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 no. In fact, it was in that same culture that the women were considered the level of a, of a pet, almost, of a dog. Do you remember that passage where Jesus says, you know, the dog and even the dogs get the crumbs, that whole thing? You know that Jesus wasn't insulting her. But that's what they believed in that culture. That's what the Roman culture believed. She was a dog. How do you think that Jesus' first followers were women? He gave them positions of, of influence. He, the first evangelists were women. The, today, the Iranian church, the Catholic church, or Catholic, the Chinese church, maybe the Catholics, I don't know. I don't know are being led primarily by women because women flock to Jesus because under the Christian, under Jesus' love, they realize that we are equal. That in Christ, 
there is no male or female balance. We are all equal in front of the cross. Women are, that's one of the things that Rodney covers. He covers that when the plagues were happening, that when the plagues were happening, that uh, in those early days, that the, the, again, the Greeks and, and the, the pagans throw the sick out into the street. But the Christians went out into the streets at the risk of their very own life and loved. And some of them, yeah, they died. But they died a martyr's death, loving those. And that is what changed the ethics. So when I say that, I'm not suggesting we check out of our culture altogether. That's not what I'm saying. I am grateful that there are men like Governor Bill Lee who are in a position of authority, who's taking his Christian faith into that and as opposed to taking power and then trying to squeeze Christianity into the back door of it. I'm grateful that we have teachers, okay, public uh, servants who are teaching, who are Jesus people, Jesus people in places of government. Good thing. Jeremiah 29 uh, 11, you know that passage we all love about how uh, I promise you to give you a future, a hope, and a, we love to quote it. In that passage, Jesus, the prophet Jeremiah, the Holy Spirit through Jeremiah is saying, be you as believers, pray for the prosperity of your city, for the blessings of your city. What city was it? Babylon. Because if you're impacting your city, Everybody is blessed by that. And I think it was Michael Ware that said it this way. We're not about a tribe. We're about serving our tribe. We're about serving God. And if my principles and what I'm doing is only going to benefit me and my tribe, that's probably not Jesus. But if what I'm doing is going to serve the community, that's why when we go to Africa and we drill wells, we're not doing an altar call, and you can only get this water if you're a Christian. This is for this community for anybody come and drink. It's for everyone. And I want that to be part of what we do here. That's how we, I believe, in our modern political climate, yes, vote. Yes, pray. Yes, believe. But if your person, your guy, your girl loses, and if you're freaking out about it, I would suggest that maybe you wanted Jesus as a king as opposed to Jesus as a savior. Meaning you're looking to a politician. Look, I'm sad when my candidate didn't win. But I can gauge it and say, if I'm freaking out and I'm panicking, then that means I might have put my hope in a political candidate and not in a Jesus. Because what do we know about political candidates? I mean, 25 of us from Conduit just went and paid $10 to tour the ruins of Herod's life. He's gone. We paid $10 and walked on his grave. He gone. Pilate's gone. Herod, they're all gone. Jesus, there. Billions of followers to this day. Not by him conquering with a sword, but by conquering with love. Does this make sense? Last question. Because here's how. How do we get that? So this is, we're going to embrace this institution, right, of, of government. We, you know, are you the king of the Jews or not? Now, can we start a revolution? Like the revol We're going to just burn this place down? Or are we going to do it through love? And the only way we can do that, the love, the peace where that comes from is in the third question. Which one do you want to release back to you? Jesus, King of the Jews? I learned something this week on Tuesday that I wished church was on Tuesday because I got so excited. Like, I felt like T.D. Jakes for about 12 seconds. I was like, get me a hanky. 
See, there was Herod, Pilate, the two political guys there that day, but there was a third political person there that day, Barabbas. It says, Matthew, that Barabbas was famous. He was a famous insurrectionist. He was a patriot. Maybe the same level that we would give him like a founding father because he was going to this Roman oppression and wanting to force that out with force. And that's why he was in prison with, quote, the other insurrectionists. And so on that day, the Jews came to say, you get to choose one and we'll let him go. And they've come to ask for Barabbas, the insurrectionist, because he was a hero to them. He was famous to them. And so Pilate, again, not concerned about himself. Maybe he's just concerned about sleeping on the, you know, the royal couch that night because his wife didn't want him to kill Jesus. I don't know. I don't think it was because he was feeling guilty about his innocence. But he says to them that day, he goes back out. So he's got Jesus right here. And he says to the people, do you want me to release Barabbas? Or do you want me to release Jesus? He's literally done nothing. He's innocent. And it says that the chief priests, the scribes, whatever, they were saying, they incited the crowd to give us Barabbas. Now, if you've got a Bible with you, open the book to the book of Matthew chapter 27, verse 16, and tell me what is Barabbas's name? First one to get there, just yell it out. Or just do it on the screen. His name Jesus Barabbas, Yeshua bar Abba, Jesus, son of the father. That was his name. Same name as Jesus. What do they say in Matthew or Mark 14? Are you Jesus, son of the Holy One, son of God? You've got Yeshua Mashiach, okay, the Messiah, Jesus, son of God, versus Jesus, son of Abba, the Father. There literally are two Jesus. What is the plural of Jesus? Does anybody know? Is it Jesai? <laughs> Brian says, yeah. So you've got a pair of Jesai. And which one are you gonna which one are you gonna pick? The one that they picked was the one that they wished Jesus was. What did it say in John? We said that they surrendered Jesus to the will of the people. Because the will of the people was that they wanted Barabbas to get back out there with the sword and the army and to overthrow, which could have released Israel in that moment, maybe for that period of time, clearly. AD 70, it didn't work out. Spoiler. And maybe even if Jesus on that day had done that, he could have set Israel free for that moment in time, for that as a political leader. But he wasn't the Jesus they wanted. He was the Jesus they needed. Yeshua bar Abba, the son of the father. We want that one. Because that one makes sense to me. He can come in here and open up the can and can take this over. And this other guy, we don't even understand. And I feel like that choice still exists for us 
today. In every situation I have, whether it's interacting with someone who is disagreeing with me theologically, when I'm interacting with Muslims in North Africa, when I'm interacting with Messianic Jews in Israel, they're a feisty bunch, by the way. Whether I'm interacting with my neighbors or my coworkers or with you, do I want the Jesus that is going to conquer with a sword or do I want the Jesus that is going to save my soul? Because that day Pilate did have the power. Okay? He had the power to give the Jews what they wanted, but only Jesus had the power to give them what they needed, which was salvation, forgiveness of their sins. That's the Jesus that we needed. And look, one day he is going to come back and he is going to be on a horse and he's going to take care and there is going to be the king. That's why there's two, that's why there's complications in Zechariah, by the way. There's this suffering servant and there's this conquering king and Jewish theologians just thought, well, there must be two of them. But there's only one. And on that day, he'll come back and set up a kingdom not based on coercion, but based on love. The only people that'll be in that kingdom are those who want to be there. The only people that'll be there are the ones that choose to be there. That choose because love is a choice. Yeshua, Mashiach, the God who saves us. I pray that in this political climate especially. It gets hard. Have you been been around me for any length of time? I mean, you all know me. I have some opinions. (laughs) I'm fascinated by the entire political process. And the one thing I've learned in a few decades of voting is both parties. I mean, how on earth is it possible that our country is $30 trillion in debt? Democrats and Republicans, right? Both sides. We, now, if I'm putting my hope in that, then I'm going to be devastated and I'm going to be sad. But I can look at it and say pragmatically, I'm going to use my influence. I'm going to use love and the supreme ethic of, of, of trying to change the culture from the inside out through love. And when it doesn't happen and I get the wrong party, I mean, because they say, what do they say? History teaches us that the stock market on average performs, what, 12% a year. Is that Dave Ramsey, right? Or the last time? Okay, let me tell you something. That's not what history teaches us. That's what the last couple decades, few decades teach us. What history teaches us is that great empires rise and great empires fall. This one will as well, should Jesus tarry. So if my hope is on whatever political candidate is coming, then my hope is misplaced. My hope ought to be placed on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Now, am I praying for the human rights of the unborn in this country? Absolutely I am. We all have political influence. It's just whether we use it or not, however we steward it. And by the way, not doing anything about it, that is doing something about it. My prayer for us as a church, though, is that we can be not a right church, not a left church. You know, Jesus didn't come to to take a side, right? He came to take over. (laughs) That's the Jesus we serve. And I pray, that, I pray that my Jewish brothers are right and that he is coming soon. Had a great conversation with a Jewish friend, a uh, new friend, Jewish guy. Had a great conversation. And one of the things we, were like, we brought up was, you know, the way we'll know, right, uh, is when your Messiah, when Messiah comes, we'll have one question. Is this your first appearance? <laughs> and it'll all be settled. <laughs> 
I do believe and I do hope with all my heart that I'm right that he is returning soon. But should he tarry, we can still live with the love ethic. We can still live with the way that Jesus did, not by arguing, not by being angry, not by be, but by literally by humbling ourselves and with our good works, silence the talk of foolish men, not putting our hope in the king, Pilate, president, but putting our hope in Jesus. Is this, I hope this makes sense. Stand to your feet. I've literally kept you too long, especially on a connect day, but this is your fault because I had an extra hour. No, I had a lack of an hour of sleep. It's like Brian Williams' math. I'm like, um, I had a, I, anyway, um, I want to pray for you. If you want to come join us for that connect event, Sorry, Lord. Um, it was, he didn't like the Brian Williams joke. Um, you could sneak out this door and go right in there if you're new here. Uh, you can, of course, go down the hallway, get your kids. We do want to hang out. This is a chance to meet all the staff. who We're always busy, so we don't really get to meet you very often, but we'll sneak out there uh, and be there for a little bit to eat lunch with you. God, we love you. We're so thankful for you. Please, Lord, come quickly. <sighs> come quickly, Lord. But even should you tarry, for us, Lord, could we live and take our cues not from our political enemies or our political allies, but from our Jesus, from you, and how you would choose to live in a climate such as this. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.